Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are pretty solidly down to earth, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. I was thinking today in honor of our guest who's like honestly kind of the king of merch we could talk a little bit about like stories from our past and growing up where like band merch or other kinds of merch really came into play look we've made merch we bought merch we've loved merch where to start I mean I bought you a bad religion shirt on the gray race tour that was the first time I remember buying merch for you that was like in the mid 90s probably yeah you went to this bad religion concert I thought they were really cool and you got me like a ringer shirt ringers were really big during that era every band had a ringer shirt yeah it was blue with yellow like piping I guess you could call it I think technically piping is correct I'm impressed that you know that. Well, look, I'm working on a home shopping show, so I kind of know all the terms. Right. It's not a big deal. Right. But you bought me that. And then like, I think that kind of kicked off my love of band merch. I don't know if it would say kicked off your love of it. I don't really remember you having any band merch after that for a while. Well, I guess it, it's kind of got me into the band merch scene because I was going to talk about, I'll call it 10 years later, you were doing a show with this band Frameworks. I would say more like probably 20 years later. Okay, whatever, Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing this show with this band Frameworks. I'm going to call it 15 years. It's a deal. And... They had these like really nice cotton sweatshirts. <laughs> so this is like kind of like a punk show. Like 
these guys are kind of like, you know. So the United Nations, I think Modern Life is War and Frameworks at Webster Hall, like the middle room at Webster Hall, not the big ballroom, not the basement, the... Our guest knows what I'm talking about. That kind of mid-middle room. To people who don't know those bands, just think about bands who go, Wait, go to the park! <laughs> That's what I think of Screamo bands kind of sounding like. Yeah, go to the park and eat a fry! <laughs> okay, sorry. You think they're singing their lyrics are, we go to the park and eat a fry? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Get to the park! The fries, are on, fries are on sale! Anyways, pretty like hardcore intimidating bands. But these guys from Frameworks were selling their sweatshirts for like $10 each. And they were these nice cotton sweatshirts. And I said, you guys, you got to know that there's a markup on these things. What do you want to make a zero buckaroos? So I told them, I really told them, I was like, you guys really should be selling these for at least $20, maybe $25. And they were like sort of grateful to me. And they were like, here, take a sweatshirt for free, which I did. But I was also like, hey, guys. Not a great business move. This is kind of the opposite of what I'm telling you to do. However, I think it's in this drawer next to me, actually. I still have my framework sweatshirt. It's a classic black sweatshirt with white font and graphics. It is a great sweatshirt. If anyone from Frameworks is listening, please know I still wear this sweatshirt. I think you should have charged me a little bit more for it, but I'm loving it. What's funny is I had a framework shirt and I was on the train when I still lived in Brooklyn and someone was like, this man, this woman, they were like, oh, we really like your shirt. We're big Frameworks fans. I was like, oh yeah, we played with them. They're like, oh yeah, we've seen you wearing that shirt. And I was like, oh really? They're like, yeah, we saw you yesterday wearing that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. Like they're probably like, is it, oh, he's wearing that shirt again. Like he must really love this band. We can probably talk to him about this. When in reality, I think I just kind of would just probably was like, ah, this shirt's probably still clean. They might've been like actually fans of Frameworks, but also a little bit like, We should probably tell this guy he's got to put on a clean shirt every day. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of clean shirts, boy, we got a guest today. Yes. Today's guest is a musician known for his work, Frontman for Fake Problems. He also plays in Antarctica Vespucci and has many critically acclaimed solo releases. He just released his fourth solo full length, Death Don't Wait, the original motion picture soundtrack, which is currently available on Polyvinyl Records. Let's give it up for our friend, Chris Farron. Hello, thanks for having Woo! me. Chris, thanks for coming thanks by. For so yeah, here. merch. What's a cost on a heavyweight black sweatshirt? What do you think? What's a cost? What do you sell it for? What do you think? A magician never tells a secret. So right, right. only say what you're comfortable. Sure. You know, I'm pretty bad at like keeping track of how much things cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know generally. So I think generally a sweatshirt's probably like a $12 thing. Okay. Yeah. Or like a cheaper one, maybe like a $9 situation. I'd say between 9 and 15 that's wholesale. Right. And you sell them for anywhere between 25 and 40. I usually go around 25 or 30. Okay. Chris, you have incredible merch and some would Thank say you. iconic. Mm-hmm. How did your sort of merch journey begin? Well, you know, I've always been in bands since I was a teenager. So I've always been either looking for designs or conceptualizing designs for merch. But I think I really got into it when I started making music under my own name because. You know, there's kind of two ways you can go with band merch. It's either very cool Uh or funny. And when it's your own name, it's so hard to be cool. (laughs) It's like so hard to conceptualize something that is like cool. 
So it's just a lot easier for me to make things that I think are funny. And, you know, not like I'm not trying to make, uh, you know, like funny shirts, even though I have made funny shirts. Yeah. But I do know that in my experience over the last 10 years, I'll see a funny shirt online. I'll be like, I'm buying it. I buy it. It arrives and I go, I'm never going to wear this. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's also like a line between like how funny you really want your shirt to be. Like, I prefer shirts that don't welcome engagement from other people. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Unless they really know what, like, the artist is or something like that, you know? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, it was mostly just been about, you know, merch-wise, just trying to do stuff that I think is kind of funny or interesting or feels kind of like an inside joke for my fans and I, you know, even though like most of the inside jokes I have are pretty easily like accessible to everybody. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I'm curious, like, are there people who like are into Chris Farron merch and stuff who have no reference to like fake problems, like Florida punk rock, like that aspect of your career? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd say for the first like you know, two years of being a solo musician, you know, there was a lot of fake problems crossover. But as I kind of joined in like new worlds and like time marches on, like, you know, I've gained more fans than fake problems had. And I've gained younger and newer fans that, you know, I feel like I, you know, maybe I'm a little too close to it, but I feel like I operate in a different zone than fake problems did as well. Like, you know, fake problems was in kind of like the punknews.org world and sure right we go to the beach (laughs) we go to the beach go to the park there's a (laughs) sale on fries at the park by the way oh yeah the park (laughs) that fry sale at the park is a popular topic for bands (laughs) now chris should we talk about the first piece of your merch that really took off i mean there's one in my mind what's on your mind (laughs) well it would be like the smith shirt right can you kind of explain to people that shirt i mean i obviously have a Merry Christmas, Farron shirt. Like, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's just so many fantastic pieces in your collection. Do you want to just kind of explain? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So when my band Fake Problems was breaking up, I was the most depressed I've ever been in my entire life. I started going to therapy because I was so depressed. I told my therapist I had an idea for a shirt (laughs) that was Will Smith and his family. And it says the Smiths on it, like with the font for the Smiths, the band. And she told me that I should do it. I was definitely in a zone where I was just like very doubtful of everything I was doing. And like, you know, I would have ideas and then immediately discount them as bad ideas. So I just I got the confidence from my therapist to just make like a what a great therapist, very short, small run of shirts. I think I just made like 30 the first time and I put them up online and I sold out of them like within a day, which was really exciting because I was worried I was just going to lose 150 bucks. All the money, yeah. And then I went to bed and then I woke up the next day and it was, as we say, viral. I'm pretty sure the only time I've ever like legitimately gone viral. Don't believe that, but go ahead. I think it's true, but it's okay because it was kind of like... It's very stressful. Yeah. Situation. It's like a lot of attention going from like zero to a million. Yeah. Wait, so you woke up and then what did you see when you woke up? Oh, oh, I guess it had, I wasn't really familiar with Reddit, but it had somehow made its way to the front page of Reddit, which is a lot of eyes, a lot of eyeballs. It was honestly a very great thing to happen to me because I was, you know, in a bad place in my music career. You know, I didn't make a million dollars, but I made enough money to kind of like jumpstart 
the next phase of my music career. Yeah. Basically. After that, people would kind of ask me like if I was going to do more stuff like that. And I had really no desire to make anything else like that. But I did think the concept of somebody becoming famous for something so stupid was very funny to me. And I kind of played into that a little bit where I made shirts of myself wearing the shirt that said Chris Farron. And then like that went on and on. So like the Christmas Farron shirt is a Christmas version of one of those shirts. Right. I think it actually has me wearing the shirt of me wearing the Smith shirt on it. (laughs) Wearing a Santa hat. And it goes on and on and on. Like it like. Yeah. 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 Wasn't there a story you making some kind of merch, like a blanket of you with another band's merch or. I had a thing with that band Modern Baseball. Right. I just gifted them a blanket of myself. And then they I don't even know if they ever gave it to me, but they took a picture of them holding the blanket and then made a blanket out of that. Okay. (laughs) That's really funny. And I think it might have gone a little longer than that. But yeah, that was a funny little thing. And yeah. most recently, obviously, I interviewed The Cup. Right, The Cup. Yeah. Which I would dare say is close to a viral. Sure. I mean, a lot of fans of The Cup. And that was really fun for Spin, which yeah. was so cool of them to actually, I pitched them. I was like, I want to interview this cup. And they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. Talk to Chris. Yeah. And that escalated to them taking The Cup to Coachella and The Cup making a like a little tour diary of being at Coachella. Yeah. Cupcella. Yes. Cupcella. Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about the cup for people who haven't read the incredible interview that Jonah did with it? Vanessa just retweeted today, which was very nice. Of you, Jonah, Vanessa. of course. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> My most recent record, it's a mostly instrumental soundtrack score to an action movie that doesn't exist. Right. The only song with vocals on it is sung by Laura Stevenson. And the song is kind of like the you know, there's a new James Bond song for every James Bond right, movie. It's, right. it's kind of that vibe. And then the rest of the music is like car chase like heist action music. So to promote it, I was thinking, how do they promote movies or like what are movie based merch items? And the thing I kept coming back to and thinking of something from my childhood was like the collector cups that you could get at the movie theaters. I know I had one for like the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie and sorts of things like that. So I just, I went hard on making polyvinyl make me a cup. So I designed the cup and then we got it made. I have to say too, Jonah did an interview with the cup. I know we've mentioned it already, but the answers that the cup gives to the questions that Jonah asks it are so funny. And this interview is, if you look up the Cup, Spin Magazine, Chris Farron, it's going to come up. As far as I know, it's the only time they've ever interviewed a Cup. Ever interviewed a Cup for Spin Magazine. Yeah. Chris, you are so funny. Thank you. And I know that means a ton coming from me. (laughs) It does. (laughs) I just want to say, like, it really made me laugh so hard. And I know it's the Cup answering and not you, but obviously it is. You know, you and <laughs> I just think your sense of humor comes out so much in everything you do. And I think it's so great. And I just want to say something that we skipped over when we were talking about your shirt that went viral was that Jimmy Fallon gave Will Smith one of your Smith's T-shirts on Fallon, right? On the very first episode of Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Wow. Will Smith was the guest and Jimmy Fallon gave him yeah. the shirt. Amazing. And also I'm wearing the Merry Christmas Farron. Is I think it's the very first photo in my Raya profile. So <laughs> wow. I just, yeah, because All I'm right. like, so anyways, that's really me. I just want to say, <laughs> we talked about this in the Jenny Lewis episode. Can everyone stop 
jumping off cliffs and having huge dogs. And then maybe I'll like you. (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) we will be back with more Chris Farron after this break. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. And we're back. And Chris, I was thinking about you actually went to SNL with me and Vanessa once. Yeah, I did. And I want to see if you remember what happened. We were sitting at this table. Yes, okay. I believe the host was James Franco. He was. He came around. He was talking to everyone. And he did something that you instantly remarked on when he left after you met him. Oh, my God. I don't know if I do. I don't know that I remember this either. (laughs) He walked away. Chris was like, when he shook our hands, he winked at us. Wow. Yeah, he did, didn't he? <laughs> yes. And you were like blown away by this move. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a gray area talking about James Franco now, but someone who's so famous and there's like something so endearing about people who are so famous who they're giving you a story just by like shaking your hand, you know? Right, right. I felt that energy from him. And it wasn't like, oh, who the fuck does this guy think he is or anything like that? It just felt like. I know. 
this is just the way my life is. And here you yeah, go. You get yeah. to meet me. Yeah. And here you are. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I tried to do that, people would be like, sort of like, what's wrong? Is there something stuck in your eye? <laughs> Not something I could pull off, I guess. Right. Same. I think when I wink, I kind of have to close both my eyes. The <laughs> listeners can't see this, but I'm trying to do it right now. Yeah. I don't know how to really keep the other half of my face you know, still when I wink. Yeah. yeah. It feels like a real like Bill Clinton move. Yeah. To just like shake and wink. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, like effortless wink is such a powerful skill to have that I do not have. Yeah. It's like he's going like, you get it. You're meeting me. And that's huge. And it's almost reflexive. It's like not even like a thought. Goes yeah. Into it. It's just like almost like a, a, a <laughs> an accessory of a smile. Almost, I think you know? that's the only way it works, because I think if the person who's doing it is like thinking about it. Yeah. It's not going to which is what it sounds like any one of us three would do. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to come off natural. Whereas if it's just like a reflex you have, it seems so natural. Yeah. Another thing I remember about going to SNL was I believe we were brought into your dressing room, but you weren't in there yet. And Jonah had an old sandwich that he threw away in the <laughs> trash. And as soon as you got in, you and I had met before, but it was like the second or third time we'd ever been around each other. And as soon as you got in, you were like, what's the smell? And Jonah didn't say anything at first. And I was thinking, it's the sandwich. And I know what it is, but I don't, I'm not comfortable enough to say what it is. But then I was thinking she's going to think it's me because she obviously knows in general what Jonah smells like. Oh, I would have 100 percent thought it was either something in the trash yeah. or Jonah. I would have. You <laughs> okay. would have been the third. Yeah. I was just carrying around this old sandwich. Sounds about right. I don't remember it because I don't. Think- I'm not saying I wasn't. I just don't remember. <laughs> this. Yeah. Somehow you had a sandwich that you had like maybe your plan was to save it. But then you just decided it was over for the sandwich. <laughs> But eventually you you said, oh, I, there's a sandwich. I threw away a sandwich in the trash. Yeah, very It's cool. glamorous out there. Don't worry. Yeah. Again, Chris, you would have been the last thing my mind would have gone to. Okay, good. good Knowing good, my good. stinky older brother. Just kidding, Jonah. <laughs> all right. Jonah, that's a joke. I get it. I get it. He's not stinky at all. He's not stinky. Chris, we had a, a really fun thing that you wanted to talk about today. A nostalgic topic, which was and is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Yeah. Now... TMNT. That's right. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. What's your entry point to the TMNT universe? Is it the cartoon, the movie, the toys? Tell us. I believe it to be the toys. Uh The toys is the part that most resonates with me. So I did a little like pre-research before we started just to make sure like just to kind of jog my memory of like, what is my connection to this really? And I looked at some of like the animated cartoon stuff. It was familiar to me, but not as like blaring as the toys were. And I found a website, TMNTtoys.com, that kind of has like the history of all of them. So I was able to deduce that my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like fandom was between 1991 and 1994, probably somewhere in between there, Mm -hmm. because that's where I recognized the most toys from. Okay. Interesting. That's interesting. Do you remember, this came out in 91, and I've talked about it before in the podcast and no one remembers this, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle custard pie. Oh, we've talked about this. Like the Hostess pies that were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle branded filled with custard instead of pie filling? I don't remember that, no. Okay. They were like Hostess or... They were Hostess. Like they were like those blueberry pies that you would get like that came in like the little like crinkly wrapper, like the parchment papery wrapper. Yeah. 
I tried to put in the chat and it just says pies.jpg. So that should just tell you exactly what they look like, right? I remember we talked about this one week and it was really hard to kind of find information about them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just curious. They might have them on tmnttoys.com. They got a lot of information on them. <laughs> they might. So you know what? I looked into TMNT Toys because I remember the cartoon. I think I'm, we're a little older than you. I'm really young, actually. Yeah. You're very young. <laughs> yes. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. I've done so much in my career, but I'm right. really young. So young. Yeah. You've just been so prolific over such a short period of time. I know. We got into the cartoons, but then I looked up Burger King had a run of toys and I had some of those toys. I don't know if you remember that. I think it was like a Happy Meal type situation. Yeah, I'm sure I got involved in that in some way. TMNT toys must be all over those. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is those toys were smaller though. So I always feel like you'd have to always kind of like in your mind as a kid, kind of for me, I mean, my version of this, not to be so gendered about it, is playing Barbies with a gem doll. And you go, one of these things is not like the other. It, you know, one thing is twice the size and you have to pretend like it's honestly a good lesson. I mean, they're different sizes. Why can't they be friends? Sure. So I was looking at TMNT toys getting a lot of airtime already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So obviously, like it's almost like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were invented to just sell right. action figures. Not invented, but definitely that's what it became. We've looked up other cartoons were made for that sole purpose. I feel like there's another one I can't think of off the top of my head that was made for that reason. Right. Definitely like a lot of the early 90s, like Batman movies, like the plots were dictated by like toy sale kind yeah. of ideas and stuff like that. And like costume changes, like so they could sell more toys. But looking at the toys on the website, it struck me that like, The only thing I was ever interested in was my little guys. Like there's other (laughs) stuff that's like a belt and like stuff that you can like play like as like a full size child stuff. Like a belt for you to put on your own waist. I feel that I was never interested in that. I didn't want any sort of offshoot of this or like yeah yeah there's like bigger like plushy ones. I was just like no it was almost like I'm not really a fan of this show. I like the size of this little guy so I can do my little, ah, like have them fight each other with my hands. So you're not into transforming yourself into one. Right. As a child, even I'm fully aware I am not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I will never be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but I am a director of these freaks. (laughs) Would you have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just to ask? fight each other or were they fighting the bad guy like the brain in the cup or whatever krang um (laughs) krang or the rat well the rat is their mentor yeah oh the rat is their right aren't there like two guys they hate shredder you're thinking of shredder Shredder. i'm thinking of shredder shredder is another one of their big enemies what is shredder what animal is shredder i think shredder is a man okay in the (laughs) cartoon version he was from another dimension got it do you think that well, I guess they still do make them today, but I keep picturing it like April o- O'Neil, the newscaster. I picture yeah. like now people being like, she's like way too liberal or like <laughs> people be like debating the politics behind. Uh, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure. I'm sure it happens. We luckily just don't know <laughs> yeah, that it's exactly. happening. We used to watch the cartoon a lot after school, if I recall correctly, Jonah. Yeah, we watched the cartoon a lot. And by we, I mean, you would watch it. You would control the remote and I would just kind of passively watch it. Yes, I remember it. And I remember when the first movie came out and I was talking with my wife, Vicky, about her favorite turtle. I believe hers was Donatello. Chris, did you have a favorite? I was trying to think of that as well. I probably would have veered towards Leonardo because I fancied myself like a leader type person, even though I was yeah six. <laughs> um, I always thought Raphael was too mean. I thought 
sarcasm. Yeah. Especially when you're that age, it's just being mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is a side note based on sarcasm, but I remember probably around the same age, I was at a county fair and somebody sitting in a dunk tank as I walked past said, what are you eating? Ice cream? Because I had an ice cream cone. It was the first time in my memory that anybody was ever mean to me. Wow, it stuck with you. <laughs> yeah. And for something so incongruous. Not even a joke or anything. It was just like like a disparaging tone about how I was. I had an ice cream. Wow. What the hell is that person's problem? Yeah, I hope he got dunked. Yeah, really. I hope so yeah. too. Oh, yeah. I hope he got dunked. He deserved a good dunk. I'm sorry. Actually, my wife's favorite was Raphael. I misspoke. Okay. okay. She sounds mean. <laughs> <laughs> She's not mean. She's very nice. Was Raphael the sarcastic one? Because I don't really remember. So Michelangelo much. is the party dude. Yeah, he's my favorite, I think. Party dude, yeah. Who was probably most people's favorite. Yeah, I felt like he was, yeah. The thing about the turtles is your friend group could assign yourselves to whoever is who. <laughs> you could also kind of see a little bit of yourself in all of them. <laughs> You know, the lyrics of the song kind of explain their personalities, right? Because it's like, isn't one of the lyrics Michelangelo is a party dude? Yes, certainly. Do you remember the whole thing? I don't remember the song. I can remember the heroes in a half shell, turtle power. Right. So I know Leonardo is the leader. That's his right. thing. Donatello's smart, okay. I believe, or he's very industrious. Raphael is sarcastic. I don't know how that comes across in the song. <laughs> Uh, and then Michelangelo's party dude. And they all love pizza. They all love pizza. Yeah. Which is like really like looking back feels like a little pandering. Like what's the food the kids like? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just the brief research I did is it's pandering. It's the most like base. Yeah. But I also think like why make a cartoon for kids and then have like them like sushi or something? Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think all children's stuff. I mean, all art in a way is art that like is meant for masses like you have to think about your audience i guess that's a nicer way of saying pandering you know yeah i remember the movies being like kind of intense and they did a really good job i feel like of making them into like live action right they certainly did the animatronic heads yeah were made by like jim henson and stuff so they like went all out to make them good yeah it worked i mean definitely those movies made it feel a little bit more adult. Yeah. Probably went from being like geared towards like eight year olds to like 13 year olds, really. You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it probably introduced a lot of kids to Italian Renaissance artists. Yes. Of course. I mean, that's certainly the first time I ever heard any of those names. Yes. I feel like when I found out that that's what those names were, my mind was kind of blown. Like I was like, whoa, these are all named after these artists. That's so cool. Yeah. I thought they were just like really long names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just weird long names. Yes. So these toys were obviously they sold over a billion dollars just behind G.I. Joe and Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, it's like this is a huge sensation. Chris, do you remember the point where you just stopped caring about them. You know, I don't remember exactly looking at the list. As soon as it gets to like 94, 95, I'm like, this is, it's over for me. I'm out. I don't recognize any of this stuff. What's Chris Farron doing 94, 95? I think that's when I probably transitioned to Godzilla or something like yeah. just slightly more with a slight more edge or like the X-Men or something that had more to grab onto because the lore and the story stuff in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is pretty flimsy <laughs> yeah interesting so i think that's probably when i got more into like comic books and started getting into that kind of world so this is like when you got your godzilla cup that era yeah probably yeah <laughs> but yeah looking at the toys like the ones i remember the most 
So Bebop and Rocksteady are like the henchmen of the Shredder, okay. Okay. I believe. Or Krang. I think maybe they're Krang's henchmen. For all toys of all time, I feel like there's a version of this. But for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's like a robotic versions of them as well. And so there's like these like silvery, shiny ones. Oh, yeah. Like when you're a little kid, you're like, what did they do? Oh, my God. Does this cost a million dollars? How do I get my hands on this? Seeing like the ones that are shiny, basically, really activated something in my head. Like there's like a super shredder who is like all like mecked out and everything. When you're that age or maybe when you're that age and a boy or whatever, nothing is cooler than like a spiky shiny guy <laughs> did you ever so get ridiculous. the silver shiny ones yeah yeah for sure that's incredible i feel the same way about gem's earring flashing sure yeah sorry to keep bringing up gem but obviously no, no, yeah. she's very important to me but when they could do those special things it seems like incredible like it's just like this is insanely cool yeah it's actually very interesting to look at these toys now and just Think of like how much fun to be a toy maker it must be, basically, because they like do all this stuff where like you can like flip the head around and then he has like a different expression on his face. There's like a one of them called like Donatello with storage shell. And he comes with accessories that you can put in his shell. The roomy reptile with a cool cachet, it says, which cachet is way too big of a word <laughs> for little kids. But it does say also on the box, it says capacity 14 turtle tons. <laughs> as soon as I read that, I was like, I remember that. That's wow. so I remember funny. 14 turtle tons for some reason. But I did not remember this where it says... This is Donatello's favorite saying, it says. Donatello with storage shelves' favorite saying, stick it in my back. Which hmm. is interesting. Stick it in my back. I don't remember that. I remember, obviously, Michelangelo's cowabunga, but not this one. I don't remember stick it in my back. It makes me feel... Don't love. I don't love thinking about whoever made that saying. Yeah, it feels like it's an adult going like, yeah. hey, this will be funny. Right. They won't even... That's actually something that I've noticed in a lot of cartoons when we're kids. Not that specific thing but like these in jokes for adults I think it's like kind of trying to keep the adults like be like interested in it there's certainly a way to do it where it is fine and then there's yeah. a way to do it where you're like this is not yeah you should do this <laughs> we could do a whole episode or at least part of an episode on this but like there's so many people say like in Disney movies like in the Lion King or like in the Little Mermaid it says like fuck in the corner of something or like there's like an erection or something sorry it's just like there's all this stuff that like you're like, is that real or is that stuff rumored? Is that the same as saying the friend on the Wonder Years was Marilyn Manson? Like what is real and what is? I think some of it's real. Like says sex in the clouds in Lion King for a second. Oh, yeah. It says sex in the clouds. Yes, that's right. Which is like that now being adults ourselves. It's like. That feels like pretty. Yeah. Did a 14 year old <laughs> animate that as well? Yeah. <laughs> like, like how like desperate is this person? They have to write like sex in the clouds. Like who would be impressed by that? I don't. <laughs> yeah. Know? It feels like also one of those things where it's like easier to do in the 80s yeah. and 90s where like today it would just instantly they would recall it. or Yeah. Also, back then you would see something in a theater and then you wouldn't see it. For like a year again. Right. Right. right and then right. if you wanted to pause anything anyway, it would all be like jittery. So you can't even really like freeze frame anything. Right. 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 But now there's like, you know, entire YouTube communities based on just like frame by frame analysis of every movie. Yeah. Or just to give it one more plug, TMNT Toys, where you can just view. That's right. 
every toy. Our sponsor today, by the way. And by the way, I want to say only one of them's catchphrase was Cowabunga Dude. Michelangelo. Yeah. I think that was Michelangelo. Yeah. Well, of course, that's why Michelangelo is my favorite. I guess I didn't realize. I just thought they all said Cowabunga Dude, but I guess I'm wrong. Right. I think that just goes to speak to how much more popular Michelangelo was than the rest of them. Yeah. Such a good point, Chris. I texted my mom asking her if she had any memories of me loving the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And she only remembered specifically that I lived with my grandparents and my mom growing up. And my mom, if she ever like brought like a date over or anything, I would quiz them <laughs> the names of all of my action. So I would first lay all of them out. And tell them the names. Oh and then I would pick them each up and go, who's this? <laughs> Chris, that is so cute. That's pretty funny, yeah. And then probably like how much you like them depended on like how good they did on the quiz, right? Yeah, or at least how like engaged they, they tried. Show effort. Yeah, show Even if effort. you don't remember, show some effort. Right, right. That makes total sense. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Chris Farron. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. And we're back. 
All right. So today we're going to introduce a new segment. And if you're a listener to this podcast, we've gotten a lot of reviews, a lot of positive feedback on our CEO takedowns, which are essentially we find a CEO who just needs to be taken down a notch. I've gone pretty hard on this guy, Jeff, from General Mills. We're going to give him a break today. And to be clear, Jonah, we've never done a segment slash game that's only about CEOs. Usually the CEO takedown comes out of... Comes up pretty organically. Yeah. But because of all the love that the CEOs, specifically Jonah's CEO takedowns have gotten, Jonah, you've created this... New segment. New segment. Yeah. CEO takedown is what it's (laughs) called. And for the first one, we want to involve Chris, obviously. And it's a music-based one, which is perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there are four Colorado-based CEOs in a rock band called The Moderators. Okay. Okay. And how does this game work? So I'm going to go through. We're going to talk about each CEO briefly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to decide on the CEO that we think needs to be checked a little bit. Okay. Oh, in the band of the band members of The Moderators. Yes. Of the band members. What a CEO-y name for a band. It's like, <laughs> know, right? Yeah. So and You're the, not even trying to pretend like you're fighting the system. You're saying we are the system. We're the moderators. What kind of... So it's rock music. I kind of want to put this article in the chat because... It's got to be covers. The article that I found is from a website called chiefexecutive.net. This is really <laughs> the site that the interviews on. They interview all of them. It says each musician's influences. Okay. I'll kick it off. The lead singer... Of the merger. Oh, wait, is it the merger or the moderators? No, it's the moderators. There's another CEO band called the merger. I'm not kidding. A better band name in general. Yes. But because they're CEOs, it makes it bad. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And they share some members, so it's confusing. It's like, oh, geez. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. Moderators, members of. Moderators featuring members of the merger. (laughs) I can see that on a flyer. (laughs) So the moderators, you got Mike Fries. You got him as a lead singer. Most people probably know him as a CEO of the international television and broadband company, Liberty Global. Okay. I don't. So Mike started his career as an <laughs> investment banker, was, of course, the CEO of United Global Com in 2004 before the merging with Liberty Global. And this guy also plays in both bands. And there's a quote from him. He cites, quote unquote, chutzpah. It's his chutzpah. biggest... It- Jonah, that's Yiddish. <laughs> it's chutzpah. It's a Yiddish thing. That you- chutzpah. Yeah. Okay. So he says that's his biggest influence. I thought you were Jewish. Yeah, I am. I'm not good with the Yiddish. <laughs> you didn't know how chutzpah was spelled. That makes oh, okay, sense. Okay. It looks like chutzpah. Yeah, that's how it's spelled. Yeah. So he's in charge of 36,000 employers. And his quote is, great CEOs understand that collaborating is just as important as calling the shots. And in the band... We've divided up the chores so everyone's chief of something. I think that he's talking about the band in that part. I'm not sure. His instruments, vocals, he's influenced by Bono, Bon Jovi, and Tom Petty. Okay. So that's basically Mike's deal. Okay. I think he's the most successful guy in the band. That's why he's the lead singer. (laughs) Well, I want to say this about him. It looks like he saw his overall pay package for 2020 shrink to 44.9 million compared to a pay packet. Why are they saying pay packet in this article? Of... $123.2 $123.2 million in 2019 that was part of a front-end loaded multi-year compensation package. Yeah. So he's already going through his own personal CEO takedown, it seems. He's <laughs> brought his earnings down by half, it seems. Yeah. Well, he's a selfless guy. I mean, he's only taken home $50 million. Devastating. He's using a, you know, a Yiddish term, chutzpah. First Jew I've ever met whose last name is Fries. Yeah. <laughs> 
prizes and French fries. Probably in charge of that sale at the park. <laughs> yeah. look. A lot of screamo bands are writing songs about him these days, and I wonder why. You think it could be Freeze, and he's related to legendary <laughs> punk drummer Josh Freeze? It's possible. possible. It's possible. I did mispronounce Hutzpah, so I could be completely mispronouncing <laughs> his name as well. So keep that in mind. Keep that uh, in mind. Vanessa, do you want to introduce the next member? Sure. Next up is guitarist Ed Hazelden, who is CEO and chairman of Hazelden Construction, a 400-employee building contractor based in Centennial, Colorado. So he gives some info on the band. They decided to form the band as just like a one-time thing. Right. Do you want to read the quote from Halston? Yeah. He said, I've had time to realize that it's not just about me, which is sometimes hard for a CEO to get over. I've had to learn patience and how to become more collaborative with the entire band. It's really weird that these people like can't separate their band experience from their work experience. Anyway, yeah. there are 12 people involved and everyone's playing their own part in each of our songs. When you've got all that going on, the performance can get muddied up quickly. So you have to create space for all the parts. That collaborative process is what we should be applying in business. Sort of weird. First of all, there's 12 people in the band. That seems like, <laughs> what is this, Arcade Fire? Yeah, what the heck? Feels like a lot of people. Second of all, it's funny that like he's able to like run this company with 400 people, but he's like, but with 12 people in our band, it's like <laughs> insane. Like, how do we okay. all get along? Yeah. I got to say a few things about Ed. Okay. One, the band practices in his airport hangar. Right? Of course. <laughs> as most bands do. His influences are Derek and the Dominoes and Eric Clapton. These are the most old man influences <laughs> on earth. I guarantee you, this guy's playing a strat. I guarantee you he has strats worth so much money. Oh, I mean, he yeah. probably has. Can you imagine like the gear this guy has? He's got the best of the best stuff. When you see like a billionaire rich person and they have like so many incredible like guitars and stuff, that must be hard as a musician to be like, you're not even going to pick one of these up. Yeah. And then the other thing I can't stop thinking about and this and I don't want to just single him out for all these guys is like their employees having to go to these shows and see them do like cream covers and just like have to. Right. Yeah. You, you said that they formed initially was a one-time thing. There's no way that one-time thing was anything but some sort of corporate retreat <laughs> event yeah. or something that everybody had to go to. Yeah. You get the sense a lot of these shows are like mandatory. And people have like lanyards on with their <laughs> names and the company they work for and stuff like that. Like it's it's one of those. This is our uncle. I remember when Thanksgiving was showing us videos from him drumming in his corporate band's performance at a retreat. We've seen it in action. I think that is a thing is like you go to these corporate retreats. Yeah. But these people kind of took it one step further where they were like, we're officially a band. We're all billionaires and you can rehearse in my airport hangar. How can we get out of paying somebody to perform at our thing? Here's what we'll do. We'll pay ourselves and form our own band. That's how they became billionaires, that's, really. Well, that's a really good point, Chris. It's like it probably whatever event they formed at, the employees of that company were probably like, oh, cool. Like we're going this like really nice retreat. We'll probably get to see some cool band like that they're paying to come play. Right. And when all these like CEOs were like, guess what? We're the band. <laughs> Everyone was probably so pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so hard. I feel like, you know, because Chris, I think we might have met through my old band, The Love Kill, maybe the fake problems. Era. Yeah, we did. And I think in Birmingham, Alabama, at Cave Nine is when we wow. first met. Really? Yeah. That's the first time I remember meeting. Okay. I remember you had a pregnant bass player. Yep. Carla, our bass player was pregnant. That must have been towards the end of the band. That must have been like probably oh four, oh five. Yeah, it was probably oh five. Oh five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People in bands who like, toured in vans, slept on floors, 
to me, like listening to like these guys is like experience of being like in a band is just like so <laughs> absurdly weird. Yeah. They just talk about how it's like hard to divide the power among all these CEOs <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like we're sleeping on floors. We're like barely getting by. I mean, Chris, can you imagine like what the ego is like between these guys? You know, you're a front man. I mean, yeah, it must be just psychotic. <laughs> and especially the way they're all talking about this like and <laughs> and the fact that all four of them are interviewed like you don't get an interview with every member of the band no like that's not something that happens for anybody else but no. the CEOs that are like, you can talk to us, but it has to be all of us. <laughs> yes. And every answer I give has to somehow relate back to business. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just the way they're talking about collaborating is <laughs> scary to me because it's like you're basically they just are over and over describing what collaborating means, <laughs> but as if they had never heard of it before. Yeah. Like, it sort of sounds like the most unartistic thing you could do. <laughs> yeah. Like, it sounds like something you put in a spreadsheet. Right. Yeah. Now, next up. Okay. Okay. We got drummer, of course, a drummer holding it down. We got Bob Dybel, president of Officescapes, a workspace <laughs> furniture provider. Okay. They started out playing in his basement, and it says, quote, unquote, much to the chagrin of Diebel's wife. Sure. And then it says, but as things started coming together, they moved their gear into a roomier quote unquote garage where the noise wouldn't bother anyone. And their space was more in keeping with their day jobs. Houtson's airport hangar, of course. After eight months of wood shedding. Going off to practice. That's what in, they're Next to wood shedding in parentheses, this is going off to practice. Wood shedding is the most, <laughs> that has to be some sort of corporate term. That, <laughs> I hate that. I've never heard someone in a band or anywhere say like, let's go woodshed for a few months before we play this concert. Yeah. yeah. I can't also as a writer, just as a journalist, like, and keep in mind, like I'm writing for spin. I have not actually published anything in chief executive.net. Not yet. Well, yeah. you're still woodshedding. <laughs> but I feel like if you use a term and then explain what it means in parentheses, maybe use a different term. Certainly. Well, this says that <laughs> after eight months of woodshedding, parentheses going off to practice. They played their next gig. And from that moment, they're on fire. They built a strong reputation. But like who's saying from that moment they've been on fire? According to who? You know what I'm saying? I like who know. wrote this yeah. article? But go ahead. So Bob's quote is being in the moderators isn't something that's given me a balance in my corporate life. It's informed it as an extension of it. It's like, well, actually, that's not surprising. Like, who <laughs> said that being in a band would give you balance in your corporate life? And the fact that it's informed your corporate life and as an ex it's like, I don't know. Anyways, his company size is 200 million and has 600 employees. Yeah. And I will say that he has kind of the most interesting influences. OK, who are his influences? His influences are Keith Moon, Alex Van Halen. And someone I've never heard of named Danny Saracen. Chris, do you know who that is? No. It's got to be a drummer for some band I don't like. <laughs> or maybe that's just photo credit. It looks like it's listed. But yeah, I mean, so his company's 200 million. Yeah, 600 employees. They play in his airport hangar. Wait, they no, play no, in no, the they drummer's play in the drummer's airport airport hangar. Hangar. Oh, sorry. They play in the... Dr I'm sorry. They used to play in his basement and then... They were like, we have this empty airport hangar. They play in the guitarist airport hangar, Ed Hazelson. So these guys who are probably like workaholics, <laughs> extremely ambitious, success-driven people, you know, are probably commonly asked, like, how do you balance like work and your family? Like, how do you spend time with your family? <laughs> right. Like, well, I don't have time for my family either because I have this band with <laughs> all these CEOs. <laughs> yeah, these guys are probably the worst because they're like, I have to work all the time. And when I'm not working... 
I have to go do my band. And their wives are probably like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now there's one more left. Finally, guitarist Brian Martin is CEO of Bella Vita. Then they're all based in Denver, I think, a Denver-based construction distributor and real estate development company that operates in Costa Rica. He readily admits that what keeps the band's dynamic interesting is that nearly half of its members occupy the corner offices at the respective day jobs. <laughs> that feels like what makes the band not interesting. Anyway, to quote him, in most work situations I'm in, I'm the decision maker. I do what I want, how I want, when I want. But that doesn't work in a band. Oh, uh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, these guys are probably so... <laughs> used to getting their way yes. that it must just be a battle to get any can you imagine coming up with a logo or anything but also to the but also they're in feels like they're in a real dream world because to the point where they can have someone write this article who says quote they've been on fire ever since it's like it, yeah i bet they're not <laughs> yeah like in what way are they on fire i've heard about them playing two shows so far <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And nothing about the shows, no information about like what kind of show, who was there. And also you said there's 12 people in the band. But so now now I'm thinking so it's each CEO just brings three employees from their company. Each CEO brings two employees Two, Yeah, probably. Yeah. And they probably go to like someone who works below them. Hey, you want to come to band practice or you want to come and play the show with us? And the person's probably like. Well, I want to keep my job, so sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many quotes from this article that we didn't get to. Jonah, give us one more. Give us Here's another. One. I think this one's, I don't want to misquote. I think this is from uh, Hal Sedin and says. The one with the airport hanger. The one with the airport hanger. My day-to-day style is more like that of an autocratic dictator, he adds. What the but hell? But it's become apparent to me that patience and collaboration are really important. All the other guys are. It took a band. It's like a. <laughs> A side band for these people to realize like these basic human (laughs) traits. Not just life, not relationships. Starting to learn. Yeah. All the other guys are as strong headed as I am. And if we don't set aside our egos to do what's best for the band, we won't succeed. Well, it's a good thing that like these guys are giving so much thoughtful you know, consideration to their bands, considering that like nobody has ever heard of their band, but they have these huge companies where they're in charge of a million people and those they think they can continue running as like full monsters. Right. Does this article like eventually say like, and they have a new record out or is it just like this band exists? Yeah. Do they have a new record out? (laughs) Do they have a new show? I'll tell you how it ends. This is the ending. Okay. Is there a downside to so many CEOs sublimating their egos? We could use a few rules as Mitz Fries, noting that without a spandex clad prima donna barking out orders, everyone's left to make their own decisions. While the band isn't suffering as a result, some areas of their act might benefit from a change management program. This is obviously like more business talk. Wow. Choreography and wardrobe are not our strong suits, he says, but everyone takes it seriously when we're on stage and the crowd can tell we're having a great time up there. First of all, choreography. Are they doing like a boy band type of thing? Like what's? I think they're saying they don't have choreography. Sure. Right. It's so confusing because they're talking up the writers using terms like change management program. So it's like So this is this is an article about a band that never says what the band sounds like <laughs> if they have music available anywhere. Yeah. They played a local venue with a thousand pace capacity, lined up sponsors, charged ten dollars a person Anybody, and like raised capacity yeah. is different than attendance. Wait, say that again, Jonathan. What was the charge? Yeah, so they played a big venue which 
Chris makes a good point, like having a capacity. But they did say they raised $30,000 and the next year they raised $100,000. But I think they made off sponsors because they say we charge $10 a person and raise $30,000. These are corporate events put together by their companies that they play at. So that's the sense I get is their hearts are in the right place. It's like playing a wedding and being like, yeah, we played and there were were like 400 people there. It was like, (laughs) it was a wedding. (laughs) somebody's wedding you didn't draw those people yeah they were already coming (laughs) i see this article from 2013 and they're all being interviewed together and the interviewer says did you guys play any place other than denver have you traveled outside of colorado and mark fries says i didn't tell you guys yet but we have an opportunity in london (laughs) we may play in london for a charity event that I'm hosting, but we have to get everybody on the plane with gear. And then the interviewer says, you can do it. I have faith in all of you. It's London. Get on the plane. And then Mike Fry says, write it down next year. And then the interviewer writes, writing it down. So maybe the interviewer is also in the band. <laughs> it seems, it just like, seems it. like he's like, we have an opportunity to play an event that I'm hosting. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Also, like you can rent stuff in London. You don't have to fit all of it onto your plane. But I guess if you have a private plane, why not? But yeah, it sounds like they're not aware that like you can rent a backline. Yeah, yeah. They seem they seem a little a little disconnected from reality to me. Well, I gotta be honest, I checked out some other articles from chiefexecutive.net. They're like hottest articles are CEOs must overcome executive disagreement to drive strategy. Can a strategic approach to ESG satisfy stakeholders and bolster profitability? So, I mean, it, this is like a totally different. This is the most punk rock <laughs> article that has ever even appeared on this website. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think the fact that they're even like there's a reference to Keith Moon is like huge. Yeah. 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 So, Chris, you've learned a little bit about the moderators. Which of these CEOs do you think needs to get? taken down a notch. This is hard for me, but I would have to say likely to be the biggest asshole is going to be the lead singer. I mean, that's true in every case for all (laughs) bands that if there is going to be an asshole, it is likely that it is the lead singer. And when you also have a band that is full of CEOs who are extremely likely to all be assholes, it's very (laughs) likely that the one who was able to wiggle his way to the cherished position of lead singer is probably the biggest asshole. I was most endeared to the drummer because they practiced in his basement and then his wife got mad at him and then they had to leave. That humanized him to me. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. So I actually, I'm going to go a different direction. Okay. Okay. I feel like the drummer, Bob Dybul, you know, he has, I think, the coolest influences in the band. Mm -hmm. He wanted to play in the basement. I feel like he should kind of know better. Oh, okay. I see. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I think he kind of gets it and he kind of knows. And I think he doesn't know how to deal with his own power. And so he kind of gets in this room and he doesn't feel exactly like he fits in, but he tries to, you know, tries to do it. And there's something about it that just wants to say, Bob, like, just be yourself take it down, you know, you don't have to just close up the ego a little bit. I feel like he's got, this guy likes Alex Van Halen. I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm going with. What about you, Vanessa? I'm going to go with Chris's pick of who I believe is the lead singer, which is Mike Fries, because I just felt like that article I was just reading about him where he kind of surprises the guys (laughs) about how they might be going to London because he's hosting an event there. Like to me, he just seems so like, 
disconnected from reality that I just can't. Yeah. I think he needs to be taken down a notch. It's a power move. And it's also like, I don't know a lot of C. I mean, okay. So technically I am a CEO of my own company. It's not really a big deal. Yeah. Same. Chris, you same. probably are too. Probably I am too. Yeah. Probably are too. But I imagine that there is a sense of competition between all these CEOs involving like your network. And obviously this is very different from like the show we play, you know, like our, our scene. I get the sense that like a little, a little, a little different, <laughs> but yeah, I get the sense that there is this weird power thing. And the singer, I think his company is way bigger than the other guy. So maybe he feels like he has to, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, the second guy, the first guitarist has an airport hanger. That's true. It's true. If you do an interview and all of your answers are about the power <laughs> dynamic of the band, there's probably yeah. something going on. There. Yeah, right. <laughs> and how these people who are based on their music, preferences a little bit older are all just now learning what collaboration means feels <laughs> yeah. tough especially because to quote pretty much all of them collaboration is important in a band <laughs> and also to quote all of them basically the gist of every answer every question starts out with this disclaimer of like i'm used to always getting my way <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, so I don't know, maybe it's good for them to be in a band. Maybe they're working on their communication skills. Maybe they're broadening things a little bit, but also maybe not. Maybe they're smoking a little weed at the yeah, end of the night. Exactly. Opening up their mind. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that was a really successful first installment of CEO Takedowns. What an honor to be the first. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The honor yes, is all that. ours. The Thank honor you. is all ours. And Chris, where can fans or people find you online if they want to learn more about you or your music, your merch, any of that stuff. You know, I'm on social media, Twitter, Chris Farron, Instagram, Chris Farron, TikTok, Chris Farron Hot, ChrisFarron.com, the whole thing. I'm on tour probably right now. Yeah. And Chris, I got to say, you recently made a TikTok about your merch sale. That's right. I'm dipping my toes into TikTok. I'm trying to learn. You are a natural because I found it to be really impressive. Vanessa, I'll send it to you. I can't wait. And it worked. I bought a hat from you. It's true. It actually did work. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for the purchase. Of course. It's a great hat. Well, that was really fun. Thank you so much to Chris for joining us. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird? Where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural milestones like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks so much. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
your perfect home sweet home. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. 